Hi everyone, my name is Shabazz and uh, I'm here with Mikko. Hi everyone. Hi. Um, we, well, well, I've been working in technology for a, a long time in hardware and software development, uh, IoT uh, as well. And um, uh, Mikko, um, do you want to say a few words about yourself? Yeah, actually, I also worked two decades in, in different companies. We have met with Shabazz working at the same networking company. I think 15 years ago or something. <laughs> uh, then I worked at uh, cloud companies and also we had a startup in, in between. So we've got all the enterprise and the entrepreneurial experience. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the metaverse. And, Yay! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, like straight off, um, what is the metaverse? Uh, <laughs> because uh, um, I, I, I I looked and, uh, for example, Wikipedia has the worst um, explanation of it ever. It kind of just discusses that metaverse is to do with gaming and yes. uh, it doesn't actually talk much beyond that. Although it does mention like in a, in a sentence or two that it could be to do with productivity and healthcare. But uh, what I mean, is it the same as the Internet plus virtual reality or or what? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question because today, if you ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different answers. What's metaverse for them? Uh, because it's still not made. I mean, nobody actually have achieved uh, something that we can actually put a milestone and say, okay, that's the metaverse. It's right. an open for interpretation. And as you said, it's different thing for different people. Uh, but there are obviously some guidelines and some guardrails that we have agreed upon. Uh, first, obviously, there are I mean, multiple metaverses. So it's like in the movies. It's not going to be one single metaverse, but uh, there is going to be, let's say, the commercial metaverse. There will be gaming metaverse. There will be industrial metaverse. And they will be loosely connected to certain points. Interesting. Right. Yeah, because um, I, I, I mean, yeah, it, it didn't it didn't really make much sense to me just <laughs> just yeah. reading that Wikipedia example of it. Uh, so that's kind of making a bit more sense now. Um, and like for people, I mean, I think the other thing is it's it's a bit hard for people to understand if uh, not many people have used VR headsets and things like that. And mm -hmm. is that going to be the way to access the metaverse, or are there going to be other ways to to access it? I mean, definitely what we spoke about uh, um, with different uh, experts in the area, uh, the human world who interact somehow with the physical world. And we obviously have that analog interaction even today. But all these new digital tools are actually providing much more ways for the physical world to get visualized and to be more interactive. Like you can have machines, you can have games. And obviously, you can access them via different types of interfaces. And it doesn't mean that if you want to be part of the metaverse, you need to be fully immersive and fully 3D. No, for sure. So you can also have this 2D visualization. Um, let's say if it's the industrial metaverse, that could be any kind of business intelligence of any kind of operational dashboard. And you can still be a human interacting through this visualization layer. Then... Right. Obviously, there is going to be a lot of intelligence inside the digital platform. So a lot of capabilities of creating the simulations, uh, all these relations and data modeling and data storage. 
And obviously there is going to be another layer which is going to connect the humans through this digital kind of almost like a ring around them to connect them with the actual device in the physical world, with any machinery, with sensors, with assets. So if I say the metaverse will be like the human is in the center, so it's very human-centric, obviously, and then you have as one layer around the human world, which is kind of representing different ways to interact, different ways to work with the processes, different ways to work with any kind of information, which could be a dashboard, which could be a natural language processing, uh, 3D tools, virtual reality, mixed reality, augmented reality. And then on, on the outside, you also have this physical world where you have the assets, right. the machines, the sensors, everything. Interesting. I suppose um, this must relate very closely to digital twins, right? Where you're, you would want to be able to represent industrial machinery or anything around you and yeah. have that representation in the computer, in, in, a, in storage somewhere. Hey, you're exactly, you're spot on. So definitely in that digital layer, there should be digital twin and with all the relation information between the, the objects, ways to understand the historic data and ways to actually use these digital twins to build simulations and been giving you all these possibilities actually to simulate specific process or specific asset, how they're going to develop in time because of different conditions, because of different way of using them. Right. So I suppose that's probably one thing organizations should be doing then right now, right? To prepare, uh, to make sure that they do have digital twins of all of their important assets, I guess. Yeah. I mean, th that's actually an excellent remark, Shabazz. Uh, building digital twins of the assets and then having this model where you can actually structure the information, structure the relations around them, actually can give a lot of competitive advantage in a number of different areas for companies. Uh, like if they want to start providing extra digital services, like preventive maintenance, etc. Speaking about the industrial metaverse, definitely the digital twin is a must. It is something that the companies need to look at and implement even today. I mean, there are so many ways to do digital twins. Right, right. Yeah, that is super interesting. Uh, and um, um, are, are there any um, public examples that we can talk about, do you think, uh, of, you know, organizations that are using digital twins that, uh, now already, um, but also that might help them in the future? Yeah, I mean, maybe we can go deeper into the industrial metaverse because that's probably the, the the area that they know most because I'm not okay. so strong in the uh, the commercial one and the gaming, <laughs> but in right. in the industrial, definitely there are companies like Bentley Systems, which was acquired by Siemens, which right. are doing so much interesting stuff with visualization and uh, simulations around any kind of heavy machinery and assets or smart cities, so they can build a digital twin about about from everything. <laughs> Right. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's just a matter of the complexities. How do you stream the live data into the digital twin? So once you have it built, yeah. you also want to have sensors uh, to provide all these extra intelligence uh, and all these extra perception about the, the assets and the physical world around them. So your digital twin mm -hmm. is actually representing 
all the information in near real time yeah and uh, how how would it work to like obviously in future if 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 you're adding more and more sensors for for example then the the data that you've been collecting obviously you, it's it's going to be more enhanced it's going to be more richer because you know, you're yeah. actually capturing more and updating more um I, I guess that could be like something that organizations could do with uh, you know just starting off small uh, mm -hmm. and then adding more and more sensors or yeah. uh, you know connecting up legacy protocols on their machines to start off with maybe yeah. and, and and then adding more sensors you're spot on. I mean, start small, get your hands dirty, understand how it works and how the technology maps to the use cases and the business processes so you can actually get value out of the digital, digital twins. And that's the good thing. You can start small, as you said, and then obviously grow. You can build digital twin of everything. Right. And um, what about... Um... I mean, I know you said that it's not all immersive 3D, but that bit is mm -hmm. interesting still as well. Oh, uh, yes. And, <laughs> yeah. And I, I know there was um, like the HTC Vive that's been around for like ages, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's um, that HoloLens. Yes. Uh, there's a HoloLens too. What, uh, I mean, I've, I've not used any of these. I've, I've used the HTC Vive like briefly, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but I've not used HoloLens. And, What's that like? I mean, I literally used everything. I have put uh, <laughs> a helmet, like an AR helmet on my head with Ubuntu Linux inside, like hard hat. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, if, if there was any kind of visual uh, element yeah. that actually can represent the, the digital world in, within the physical, if it's augmented mixed reality, I had it on my head. <sighs> okay. It's super exciting. <laughs> I mean, uh, definitely it's still expensive. I mean, we have to be also careful with uh, our mm. uh, happiness level because obviously all, all these cool gadgets and immersive experiences costs you a mm. lot of money. And until it gets democratized, we'll be yeah. tough to see metaverse uh, units like the immersive ones, the 3D with the VR and everything on a mass scale. Uh, but it, it, it will happen. I mean, that, that's that's something that <laughs> we are sure about. Mm. I mean, I can imagine even a, just like, okay, it, very niche stuff, but you, you can imagine like being on an oil rig or something and having, you know, million dollar machinery and things like that and having someone like be able to help you remotely. And so, you know, you literally stick on the, <laughs> the thing on your head and start working immediately without having to wait for an expert to get to the location. Oh, yeah. Yes. That kind of stuff could be. You know, really interesting. Yeah, that, that's a low-hanging fruit. You're spot on. Mm. All, all these remote assistants where you can get the expert remotely and then they can guide you with an immersive view and giving you mm. exactly location or readings of m different uh, machines and sensors. That, that's a low-hanging fruit today. Any, any kind of expensive assets, expensive processes, I mean, it, it's a no-brainer. But uh, if you go to the normal things where you we still have like a human in the loop in work processes, still kind of expensive. And also people need to get used to having all that digital information in front of their eyes. Yeah. 
what, what, what is the bandwidth <laughs> required for this? Sort of thing? <laughs> <I'm just curious. laughs> yeah, you, you're actually hitting all the nails. <laughs> oh. <laughs> One after the other. I think you did a really good prep uh, prep work on the discussion. Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just asking a, a question I hope others, others would have as well, because um, to be honest, I'm, I am new to this. But, yeah. you know, having like having worked in networking and, you know, being a bit aware about like the bandwidth required for video, um, yeah. just, yeah, just uh, curious, uh, you know, for the metaverse, I can imagine the requirements are quite high. And um, would it w would that work over 5G, for example, today, do you think? Oh, oh, also the latency. So it's not just the bandwidth. Oh, yeah. Also the latency yeah. of streaming data. How do you visualize data? And... Mm. It will work. It's not going to be like a fully immersive experience if you don't have a low latency edge streaming powered by, let's say, 5G standalone, where you can have the Unreal runtime streaming to your headset literally on the base station 500 meters from you on, on a very high mm. speed. Uh, so definitely the... in the industrial metaverse native infrastructure will be different than the infrastructure we have today if we want to have this immersive experience everywhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your spot on latency, uh, obviously that's a lot of high-speed data and even getting the data from machines and then sending commands will require also edge computing. So you don't want to send the data to the hyperscaler and then get it back and then uh, this, this latency is just going to kill the whole experience. Right, right. So you would need uh, to rethink the complete infrastructure, starting with the silicon, going to the, the, the stack between edge, content delivery networks, cloud, and then more bandwidth, as you said, more band bandwidth, low latency. The world is moving in that direction. So we see more and more of these yeah. private 5G networks and uh, we see fiber everywhere and even in Germany now, you can get like a decent internet connectivity. So <laughs> the world is progressing well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same with the UK, to be honest. It's, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I'm on twenty megabits per second currently. Still, <laughs> I'm going to upgrade at some point. Yeah, to yeah to faster fiber connection. Yeah, I'm on ten gigs. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I need also faster connection. I just need to get more, more and faster kind of hard drives because that's kind of reaching the limit. <laughs> you you have more data on on mobile as well. I I I can't I can't actually consume much data before I, I hit a limit. I have to start paying more. Yeah, but once you get all these 3D models and you start getting more and more interactive with different processes mm. and machinery, I mean, obviously the data will be there and uh, networking, low latency networking and being able to stream and uh, kind of process data and also all these mm. communication channels, command channels, this this will be a must and, and probably this is a good, it's gonna, this is going to be a good driver for uh, well, for 5G going forward, but also for 6G, right? I guess in, yeah. in a decade's time or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, 5G is good enough for this immersive experience if we want to go in the fully immersive and 3D experience interfaces. But again, as we spoke, the, the metaverse and the human interacting with the metaverse obviously could be 
via natural language processing or it could be via a typical 2D uh, elements. So we don't need to go uh, wild <laughs> when, when it comes to uh, all these super immersive experiences today. And um, what, what, what have you been working on uh, in terms of in terms of metaverse? What exactly uh, have you been doing? I, I know you have been doing something. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. since I left the last corporate job a couple of months ago, I said, okay, now is the best time to build. You know, 2023, 2024, these are going to be very hard years. So if you have ways to have cash flow, yeah. and your family is safe, probably this is the best time to build new products. And then after we hit the, the good times in 2025 going forward, uh, sell them <laughs> to, to the world. Uh, <laughs> so definitely the last couple of months, we have been working uh, with a friend on this concept of industrial metaverse native infrastructure or IMNI as a short name. Mm -hmm where we have been looking for different uh, kind of look on the traditional architecture of edge cloud computing, uh, kind of building this uh, uh, Kubernetes base clusters, which you can place everywhere. You can place them on premises, on the on-premises data center. You can place them with the mobile carrier on top of their edge infrastructure, or you can place them in a hyperscaler you can choose your own Azure, AWS, or GCP. Okay. And then on top of them, you can actually put the streaming servers. So you can choose Unity or you can choose Unreal. You can place all these different IoT communication channels. So you can actually get sensors data at any different point. And also you can send commands to the assets. So you can have low latency video, high bandwidth streaming, and you can have fully integrated Internet of Things communication, obviously looking on all these new standards around HTTP3, Quick, everything which uh, is yeah, yeah. with web transport, because obviously latency and security in real time, these are key elements for the industrial metaverse infrastructure to be successful. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on those, on that uh, transport? Because I think that will be new to people as well. It was new to me. Yeah, world is moving to UDP. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> joke on my CCA certification, <laughs> uh, where we have been looking on all these stateful mechanisms and all, all these confirm deliveries and everything with TCP. Yeah. Uh, obviously, now everything around video, since this is probably the biggest uh, load on top of any kind of network today. Even on the enterprise networks, the videos the yes. videos becoming substantial. Uh, so everything is moving to UDP and all these new standards around HTTP3 and all these new mechanisms actually to embed the TLS handshake within the within all the communication channels. So you have faster connection, you don't have any latency, and everything which is upcoming with the web transport. So think about uh, web sockets on steroids where you can have the video you can have the time series data you can have the commands within a single encrypted web transport session with minimum latency and minimum penalty on the hardware this is just opening so many possibilities yeah is it, is it like um a Joomla sctp uh where where you could have like multiple streams almost uh yeah 
Yeah, but yeah, yeah, sounds it's interesting. Faster to build a TLS channel, obviously, and then you can push a lot of different content, uh, types of content within the same pipe. Brilliant. Yeah, that that is. I, I want to play an experiment with that actually because I remember you did mention um, that a while back. And, yeah, uh, yeah, that that was interesting. That that's the thing. The industrial metaverse, native infrastructure, mm -hmm. will actually require this completely new view on everything. We just did the the episode with the chips. Obviously, that's one of the steps. Then looking on the networking interfaces, then looking on the firmware choices, then looking on these communication protocols, like everything which can do high bandwidth, low latency, secure connectivity. Then looking for anything to orchestrate applications like Kubernetes, um, yeah, any any kind of mechanisms with WebAssembly and WebAssembly system interfaces, so you have this uh, orchestration and management of applications, uh, effective mechanisms to do streaming data and also to manage data at rest with big this fantastic new data lake houses as a technology so you can actually process the industrial metaverse data whenever the data resigns so this is the, the that's the infrastructure it starts with the silicon goes to connectivity firmware yeah. all, all the elements needs to, to kind of improve <laughs> yeah and this actually sounds the metaverse actually sounds like a really good driver for wanting to have the the kubernetes um uh, pods uh you know down down to the um site level so you know not not just in the cloud yeah even smaller like i mean yeah even if you want to have um, a mechanism to do uh, any kind of extra streaming or inference of models or if you want yeah. to do any kind of these advanced algorithms on smaller devices where Kubernetes API is way too heavy, then there are so many different ways to use WebAssembly. And you can have these kind of container containers and container management for the applications and lifecycle and scale. So different yeah, ways I, to I, I, optimize. <laughs> I think most, most um, you know, like, uh, not not sysadmins, but you know people people who um, work on orchestration with Kubernetes. Um, I, I think a lot of them might not have realised that you know there is this requirement to be able to have it you know geographically not not just geographically separated, but down to a um, mm -hmm. you know the, a, a, into like enterprise site level, like like you're mentioning. Um, yeah. So that's probably quite a new thing. Um, yeah, I mean, what are the um, difficulties there? Like, uh, have there been issues with like, because uh, that's obviously, I mean, we, we may not be a layer two connection there. Is, is that an issue with Kubernetes? Because I've, I've not actually deployed it, so I'm not not sure on that. I mean, obviously, Kubernetes is really good for the light edge device and heavy edge devices where you can have like um, a PC level devices with mm -hmm. four gigabytes, like. Four gigabytes, I think, is a good number as a minimum of memory and like dual core CPU, and then going up, and it, it gives you this ubiquitous computing capability for the applications and application management. 
and also the same uh, kind of methodology to develop these applications for the edge, for the cloud, for the on-premises yeah. data centers. Obviously, everyone is building different applications for the PC on the edge and then for the data center and for the cloud, but the methodology, the DevOps process, CACD pipelines are kind of the same. Okay. And then that's something which is happening today. I mean, looking on the market now, everyone is kind of rethinking how they can optimize the development, delivery, and operations process of their existing applications, like all these line of business monolithic apps with millions of lines of code. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so microservices came on the rescue and they're getting a lot of attention. And then the next thing is obviously how do we expand the same mechanism down to microcontrollers? And that's where actually WebAssembly, it still is doing baby steps. So <laughs> I, I haven't seen major uh, production deployments with WebAssembly and containers on WebAssembly. Okay. But it's just a matter of a year, year and a half to two years that you're going to have the same mechanism from microcontroller to the PC, to the server, to the data center on-premises. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> It's a really exciting time to be in infrastructure, <laughs> finally. <Yeah. laughs> it was exciting at the beginning when we moved to kind of optics, etc., like 20 years ago, and now it's the second wave with the metaverse. Really cool. And um, what um, if, if people did want to develop uh, applications for metaverse, how, how would they go about it? I mean, is it worth them learning things like Unity or... Uh, or what else is out there that they should be you know, using to, to, to build apps? I mean, if they want to go into the fully visual and immersive 3D, obviously they have to start with the basics, like uh, how do you build 3D assets? Like with the USD type of format files, like uh, universal scene descripting, descriptors. Oh, okay. So yeah. once they understand how to build these USD and build the 3D assets, then obviously okay. they, they can choose any kind of environment like Unity if they're more on the enterprise side or Unreal if they're more on the gaming and like cool kids on the block side. Right. <laughs> yes, so start building and then use the same also as, as a runtime so they can actually scale it up and stream it from content delivery networks or from the edge. Are there um, already um, any like frameworks which people could use to, um, you know, accept data, um, ha have their digital twin um, representation of you know objects, uh, and be able to import in the Unity models, mm -hmm. or, or would they have to do that from scratch today? I mean, there are probably ten plus different open standards and I think every consortium is building their own open standard and everyone is trying right. to attract people to use their their ways. I've spent a couple of years at Microsoft and there, there was this digital twin definition language schema where yeah, you can actually yeah. use the DTDL to mm. define. And that's the, all text-based, so it's really easy to understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there is also one consortium, which is like <laughs> the digital twins consortium, one of the 10 which is using this <laughs> DTDL and with the, there you can build the, the, the model of the assets, the relationship between them. And then you can use platform as a service component, which 
at Microsoft site is the so-called Azure Digital Twins, ADT, to actually uh, go represent and build it as a platform and then start connecting external services for storing the data, streaming data, consuming the relationship right. from the graph and then build simulations. Again, all, all these external compute choices. Right. And um, uh, that, uh, uh, what, what about um, like in, in the cloud, like um, uh, um, are, are manufacturers like NVIDIA doing anything interesting for the metaverse? Like oh, yeah, you're spot on. I mean, I, I think they're the one owning <laughs> the, the true metaverse today. Uh, so Okay, good. I'm glad it's not face meta, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Only yet, because uh, that would cut a lot of people off, I think. <laughs> no, that would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> NVIDIA, obviously, they have spent a lot of time not only on the hardware side, building the GPUs who power a lot of the visualization, yeah. and streaming, and gaming, but they also invest in a product family which is called the Omniverse, where actually okay. they can you, you can use the Omniverse nuclear server and you can run it uh, if you have a beefy uh, equipment on your own, or you can run it on top of the NVIDIA cloud, or you can run it also on the cloud providers, like the, the big hyperscalers, where you can import the assets based on the USD format, which is like an open standard format and kind of universal scene description is kind of used across the industry. So you build the assets and then you can use the, the, the Omniverse actually to start building more logic, visualization, all these interactive tools and get connectors because if you have invested already in learning uh, let's say unity or learning unreal obviously the omniverse has these connectors so you can actually start connecting the models that you have already built and consume them build let's say a, an entire shop floor in the metaverse where you can get different assets built on top of unity or unreal and then you can use the on the Omniverse actually to go walk across the factory, see the operational efficiency of the equipment on top of the equipment, visualize on top of you, or interact with the equipment, shut it down, etc. So <laughs> a lot of cool stuff. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely worth it. I mean, um, mm. if you are able to find uh, NVIDIA A100 GPUs <laughs> somewhere, just use them to <laughs> to run the the omniverse. And... Yeah, I, th I think um the the cheapest A one hundred server that Nvidia makes is about the cost of an apartment. I think <laughs> got something. Like that. Yeah, that, that's a good ma mathematical calculation. I mean, what's the return of buying an A one hundred server or uh, or a flat? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, the other thing interesting is, um, it's you know, like, uh, you know, which organizations, because like we, we just mentioned NVIDIA, and mm -hmm. we were also just mentioned Meta, because, you know, that puts people off, like the Meta yeah. sounds very much like Metaverse. Uh, but I was thinking, um, if if it's like um, 3D, like USD, things like that, it's probably other companies which, you know, maybe today are not involved in um metaverse but could get involved and maybe they might end up being big players like you know like these uh animation companies as well because they might be needed for vis visualization oh yeah the same yeah. with unity because i think 
maybe when people hear of it, they think that it's just for gaming. And I, I don't know what proportion of their revenues from gaming and and from uh, uh, other verticals, but I'm sure there's other ones uh, are now you know playing like a growing role now for um, for revenue for them, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I can share a personal story where you can actually send books to my three kids around Unity development, and you actually have picked the right book for the right edge. H and, and I told them like read these books, you're never gonna be hungry. <laughs> Go and experiment with uh with Unity and build your own kind of play field games, get uh, get full understanding. Um, yeah, so are they enjoying it? <laughs> yeah, they did. I mean oh, they cool. haven't done that much of game uh, kind of game development as I was expecting, but <laughs> at least yeah. they've got understanding how the games that they're using are working. Uh, you know, well, that's yeah, that yeah. sounds super important because, like, you know, if, if you know, what are the things that kids should be learning? <laughs> like, I, I thought it was Python initially, but now I'm thinking, well, it should be Python and it should be, you know, go off and actually make some games uh, because through doing that, uh, they are learning Unity and yeah. that, that knowledge can then be tra transferred. Yeah, and, and now with all this prompt engineering, maybe also the kids should understand how to use prompt engineering yeah. <laughs> more <Yeah>. and more. <laughs> I, I, I really hope we're not the, the last generation actually coding in C. <laughs> 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 because we have produced so much content for these large models to train themselves that now if the, the kids are smart and they use prompt engineering, they just get everything ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, back to the, the metaverse, you know, I have this theory that the true metaverse is going to be this Frankenstein child in between telecom, mm. hyperscaler, and gaming company. So you have the connectivity with all these low latency, high speed choices. You have the unlimited compute of the hyperscaler. And then you have all these 3D assets and gamification to keep the, the people fully intact and interactive from the gaming. So this is going to be these three things that are actually going to give the birth of the true uh, metaverse. Yeah, that's very clever insight, actually, because to, yeah, to keep people um, wanting to be productive and do things, then you know, t turning that around and making that into like a, almost you know, gamifying things, uh, that could help as well, right? And of course, they already have all the knowledge on how to do that oh, yeah. to motivate people it's just in the wrong industry like if yeah. you open the typical <laughs> industrial dashboard of the big companies yeah. it's really boring you have to follow a workflow which you're teach by i don't know how many months and you do mm. the same repetitive tasks and that can be fully automated or you can be part like human in the loop and then it could be also gamified so it's not so boring for the your mm. daily work it, it, my take is it's just it's a matter of time. So after we go through this crisis, there will be another renaissance. Like there was this renaissance in 2003 and going forward, where we're going to see the industrial metaverse and maybe the enterprise metaverse and the gaming metaverse and yeah. all the other metaverses really going through the roof. And now we're also with generative AI and these better capabilities to interact with uh, the digital world. It's going to be a really exciting time. Like 
I think we live in the best era for the last two decades. <laughs> <laughs> I'm convinced now as well. And you know, like, um, especially when we did that, when we had that chat about AI chips and how, uh, for example, like Graphcore, they had to have that vision like 10 years before almost, yeah. right? But, yeah. um, and obviously it takes a long time to uh, develop something. And, um, but, the, but it's, it's become reality and it's the same i think with the metaverse where people might still think oh it's you know a few years away or several maybe you know five years five six seven eight years away um but that will happen really quickly and people have to prepare for that now yeah i mean if you have it in your in your head it just takes persistence and time to get manifested to everyone and obviously yeah. to have the business case for others to use it and and it's and even if um you know people are still thinking well maybe maybe metaverse is not relevant actually it's all of the extra technologies which you've just mentioned as well which are going to help make metaverse a reality and so all of those other technologies are useful as well like you mentioned with uh, for example the, uh, the telecom technology to yeah. be able to have low latency you know 5g the drive to 6g uh, the new transports uh, which you mentioned yeah yeah, yeah. It's also a matter of time. I, I'm with you. And I, I think the time is now. Obviously, these kind of hard times with the COVID and then mm. the war and like everything over the last couple of years is going a little bit bad for the society and the humanity. But this will end. I mean, it will not go forever. So I think the moment the thinking, the kind of the whole situation improves in two years of now, it will just unleash this functionality, these capabilities, the readiness of people to go and use these experiences. And then the industrial metaverse is going to get a real boost. Or That's, the enterprise yeah. metaverse or any, any kind of other metaverse, obviously. <laughs> <clears throat> and I love that the fact that even down to the microcontroller level and sensor level, that sensors are going to be like so relevant. Um, yeah, okay, for sure for the immersive stuff, uh, but even even non-immersive, uh, you know, where you're controlling things. Uh, so you know, having IMUs, or, you know, with accelerometer, gyro, things like that. Yeah, you know, they're all going to be super important. Um, so you know, high accuracy, um, new cameras. You know, face tracking eye tracking all of that kind of yeah. stuff to be able to yeah get that immersive experience okay you're spot on i mean without it you cannot digitize the physical world you cannot build processes yeah, yeah. you cannot have the automation and like all these copilots <laughs> let's say let's use the copilot term but obviously anything that can actually come from the digital world, can use sensing to understand the physical world and the dependencies, and then mm -hmm. help the people to kind of be better at work and kind of be healthy, happier and healthier. Yeah, yeah, it's, they're definitely exciting. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> true, true. Awesome. Um... Anything else we should talk about, do you think? Uh, I mean, it's up to you. I mean, you, you're asking the questions, but I was really amazed how much groundwork you, you did with uh, kind of studying all, all these different uh, aspects. No, thanks. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's exciting. <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
now you're fully hooked up on the metaverse so there is no way out <laughs> it's time to yeah, you know like after a few waves as well of technology because yeah you know i, I mean I, I still remember even like i'm embarrassed to say you know when wi-fi came out uh you know and initially thinking well you know how useful is it because it, it it does take a bit of vision to realize well actually uh, wi-fi is going to be extremely useful because you know mobile phones are going to have it uh you, you're going to be connected to the, to the internet and you know initially you know you thought well okay a person would think that well wi-fi why would you really want to use it if you can you know connect your laptop or whatever up to it yeah. <laughs> to, to a wired connection so uh, yeah having that vision is like super important and also like seeing really early on how things could be useful so i think we've we have seen that several times now right especially with product development as well where because it takes you know many years to come up with the uh, asics for example and yes. to, to develop them and start developing processes for higher throughput having um communication systems with the low latency high bandwidth and everything now, all of that has to start early so that people can develop these things yeah true until it manifests to the world and then everyone knows how cool it is and they, yeah. they want to use it yeah. it just takes time exactly <laughs> and uh, kind of consistency like being part don't don't give up build the systems and, and that's the reason i really love this uh, idea of industrial metaverse native infrastructure that we're working on obviously a lot of people think all oh, this is too early and like <laughs> people don't need it today but, but you have to build it today so people can use yeah. it in 2025 it just takes time and persistence <laughs> absolutely yeah all right uh i think i think i have nothing else but i've i've been now super curious to see what other people think as well and what questions they have yeah um, apologies if i've not asked the, <laughs> all the questions that others might have wanted to to hear uh, asked yeah but it's not too late i mean if people want to get more episodes first mm. if, if they're experts in the area and they're working actively i mean they obviously can join us in an episode where two of us we can interview them and also if we have missed any kind of top of mind question i, I mean obviously they can contact us through the forms at uh, spotify podcast apple podcast or even directly on our linkedin profiles so we are not going away we're in the metaverse <laughs> 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 and we are always open to good feedback and and good ideas and good questions. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Great speaking to you again, Mikko. As always, Shabazz. Thank you. Cheers. And uh, speak soon. Yeah. Thanks, speak everyone. soon. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. See you. Bye. Bye.